Well, we are back with another exciting episode of Out of the Main, and I am one of your co-hosts, Tom. And John here is sometimes known as the second-rate first mate. Accent on second-rate. Well, it's funny you say that, because here we're sitting today, we're going to introduce a guest, where if you're the second-rate first mate, I think I've become something of the third wheel. (laughs) Yeah, kind (laughs) of. That's true. (laughs) So... A lot has happened since we uh, had Dane Donahue on our podcast back in April of 2021. We're going to bring everyone up to speed on some of the things that have happened and what makes that third wheel thing a a relevant quip. But we're also going to dive deep, John, into the Dane Donahue record with the Dane Donahue person. We are. Welcome, Dane. Hey, guys. How you doing? We're good. We're glad to have you here. So. Yeah, the uh, the cat's officially out of the bag. Oh yeah, you know we um, we have uh, started working on some stuff that uh, you know when we have the whole backstory. We covered that. We had Dane on a while back, and we covered the whole backstory. Delved into the where are they now file and found out everything about what had happened with uh, Dane in the past what thirty forty years or so. And um, we are now embarking on a new project recording new music new compositions new arrangements everything with dane and we want to talk a little bit about that but we also want to talk about in detail track by track the legendary uh, debut album that he had i mean it's on it's got to be on every top 10 list that of yacht rock out there right at least in the ones that have certain knowledge behind them Absolutely, yes. So, Dane, welcome back, first of all. Thank you. And uh, last I saw you was over the summer. You were in the Detroit area laying down some vocal tracks with John in a studio here. It was. What a fun time that was. And, uh, yeah, we've uh, really enjoyed working with, uh, with with this new project with uh, John. It's been a lot of fun. And and the thing that's exciting me, too, we've uh, played it for a few people that I really admire in the industry and getting some wonderful accolades about it, about uh, John's wonderful work and about the new material. So we're pretty excited. Yeah. Well, is there anything, um, John, I'll ask you, since you're the one uh, kind of overseeing the mastering and the mixing and stuff, is there any snippet we could play for people so they get a taste? Well, the the goal number one was to make a record or however, whether it's an EP or full album or whatever it ends up being, we wanted it to sound like the next extension of 1978, 79. So maybe we're into 80 now. Uh, <laughs> we're not making a modern yacht record. But we're making a true uh, of the era, yacht rock sounding record. So we have a couple of things that are mm, sort of done ish. You know, they always get tweaked a little bit. A little mastering goes on after the fact. But we got. Uh, uh, what should I play a little bit of them for, Dane? What do you What do you think? Whatever you like, uh, your choice. Let's play a little bit of uh, going down. That's sure. the one I think that uh, has a little bit of the Dane's Eagles influence in it. So we're going to hit a little of that right here. Leave. So, Dane, I got to tell you, far be it for me to compliment my brother about anything, but I walked into the studio that day, True. 
and we're doing some playbacks. I walked into the studio. I'm like, I'm in freaking 1979 LA and it sounds beautiful, but that's all got to be because of your songwriting. It can't be anything that John did, no. but um, no, <laughs> kudos to John. The sound is going to be exquisite, but tell us about the songwriting process before, because I do feel like this ties directly into your prior work. And are these songs that are, are being written now or written somewhere along the way, or is anything date back to back then? Well, it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I found one I wanted to mention to John that was one of the last tunes that I worked on with uh, the guys that co-wrote the first album with me. And I'm going to get that to John. But uh, some of them were written. Uh, most of them are fairly new, you know, uh, you know, within within a few years and within a few months, you know, that we're, we're working on. So we're really excited about it. But you know, the uh, style of music really hasn't changed that much for me over the years because that's I recorded what, you know, what I enjoyed uh, uh, doing at the time. And luckily, I've been able to carry on, you know, with the help of John and these just wonderful, wonderful young musicians that he's brought to the table. It's been a lot of fun. It's yeah, been, we're excited. People are going to love it. I'm telling yep. you, they are going to love it. Um, and it does feel like the, the follow up album. So but let's talk about the album that it is following up. Shall we, gentlemen? We'll get into 1978 Columbia Records, Dane Donahue. Um, we covered this backstory in detail in two episodes prior, which I will link to in the show notes. So if you want to hear the whole story and Dane's whole life story, you could get that there. But um, let's just talk about the album real quickly at a high level before we jump into track by track. Um, is there anyone that wants to kind of start and lay the sort of groundwork on, on this record? Well, I just wanted to say one quick comment. I watched your podcast on uh, Tristan Bowden. It was fantastic, but I couldn't mm-hmm. believe he was in the uh, uh, in the room with with a room full of gold and platinum records. And of course, Tristan was playing it down. All those old things, you know. You just threw them in <laughs> yeah. here, type of thing. And I was going to say, you know, Tris, don't worry. Last year, I think I just got certified on on an album that went triple plywood. So we're real proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> so take that, well, Tris. No, no, seriously, Tris, uh, you guys, that was a, that was a great show. And and I wanted to uh, thank Tris for keeping the yacht rocking out there, you know, so on the West coast. Well, you're queuing up sort of a question I had, which was the album, as we discussed last time, a lot went into it. We're going to talk about the star power and the production. And this was recorded in uh, almost kind of twice. So a lot went into developing you as an artist. And then, uh, for whatever reason, we chalked it up somewhat to maybe the disco inferno burning too brightly for an album like this to get uh, true appreciation at the time. And you said that you kind of walked away from the music industry, somewhat falling somewhat out of love with the music business, though you loved music. And I'm curious if you've ever thought back, Dane, and if this album had just blown up completely like it should have, do you think you s- would have been more inclined to stick out the industry or was it just uh, did you learn just enough to say, this isn't for me. You ever thought about that? Yeah, I have thought about it uh, multiple times. And I probably, uh, in hindsight, would have gone back and, and gone over this with my management because I look back and see Toto, you know, really didn't break until the fourth album. And there were a lot of uh, a lot of groups that, that uh, you know, I mean, I don't have any regrets about it. You know, maybe, the, the, you know, that was the destiny. Who knows? I could have died somewhere along the way. You, you never know. Uh, so I'm just grateful for the way things things are going now. I'm very grateful that I'm able to do this music now with with John. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but in hindsight, yeah, I think I, I should have had maybe a little more staying power, 
you know, instead of uh, walking away from the industry completely because of the, the, the different groups that I'm aware of now that, that took so long to break through. Ah, uh, hindsight. Yeah. If that makes sense. Maybe that'll be the, the name of the album, Hindsight. Hindsight. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so Tom alluded to it. Now, there is a, as we said, there's a interview we did with you, uh, early episode in a lot of this detail, people can go back, check out that episode. As Tom mentioned, it was, this album was sort of recorded twice. It kind of got, or not necessarily entirely recorded twice, but it, it started and production wasn't going the right way. And then that started a new chapter, new producer, all of that. Of the stuff that made this album, was any of that stuff, because I know you had sort of a, a core band of guys that weren't part of the quote LA scene initially. So did you record some of this stuff before you went out to LA, any of these songs, or did all of this happen purely out in LA? Cause I'm thinking of like, you know, uh, Fisher and is it Getro? Uh, yeah. Getro. They wrote mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Was all this done before? There was one, uh, one song uh, survived all of it. I had a demo that was produced by Craig Fuller. Uh, great artist from Pure Prairie League and Little Feet. He produced an album that he played on that I had some of the local guys that played on my album later, Andy Smith and uh, Jeff D'Angelo. And he, I think Ricky Skaggs at the time was playing in some Ramada Inn in Louisville, Kentucky, because we recorded the demo in Indianapolis. And so that was one song that, that survived it. So I tried recording that in the demo and then when we did the thing in San Francisco uh, that they scrapped, we scrapped completely and started over in L.A. But basically, the, the basic tracks, we started off in Woodstock. And I was trying to be very, very careful. We were recording uh, the song Congratulations, Woman, Casablanca, and Can't Be Seen. Those four songs, we were trying to lay down basic tracks. And uh, like I said, I was try- kind of walking on eggs because I didn't want to push my friends that I wanted on the album, like Andy Smith. So Andy was just up there hanging out while Steve Gadd came up from New York city was playing in that group stuff with Richard T at the time. And he was uh, coming up to Woodstock during the afternoon to record. And we, that's where we recorded the basics for woman, which we kept. But then when Steve had to get back, that's when Andy Smith stepped in uh, to take over because we still had recording time during the day. And that's when we did Casablanca, which was a keeper. And also uh, Congratulations, which ended up being a keeper uh, after we tried to record it in L.A. with the L.A. Express and uh, decided to use the one from New York. So everything kind of started at Woodstock in New York, for the, at least for those four songs. What's really interesting to me about this record, a couple things, really. I, I will make the admission that it's one of those records that nothing jumped out at me at first as being the hit. And typically, those are the albums that I end up loving more than the ones that are super hooky. And you're like, because that stuff becomes digested. And then it's like, okay, I've heard it enough. This album, I listened to it a bunch today. I'm still hearing new things. It, it's because of the sophistication, I think, of the writing. And when you're doing adult chords, you have melodies that aren't completely predictable and whoever is going to listen to this album for the first time, just keep this in mind. You want to keep listening to it and keep listening to it. And then the last other observation is John, you brought this up, how your songwriting Dane 
doesn't take a formulaic approach of, okay, verse, then here's a big chorus, then a verse, then here's a big chorus, bridge, chorus, out. The road mapping is interesting, which we'll get into in the track by track. And then last thing, I don't mean to have a diatribe here, is the blend of, of styles. I'm just trying to set this all up in a way that this record came together with your writing style, the blend of like, I, I hear country rock in here, you hear jazz, you hear elements of funk and R&B, and that all comes together, yet it feels cohesive. Yeah, we've taken some heat for that, though, with some of the songs, like on one of the new tracks, I have a song called Fair Enough, which uh, it's it's like, I don't know, uh, John, if you've experienced the same thing playing it for people, but some people absolutely love it, and other people are scratching their head going, what? It sounds like it's going in too many directions, and I'm going, well, some things never change, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, we'll let people decide for themselves on that one. That one's um, everybody that spends time with that song loves it. The first time they listen to it, they're not sure because your 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 mind wants to go, okay, that's the verse, that's the chorus. It's not that simple, but right, we'll right. let that. That's a conversation for another day. I say we uh, move in <laughs> to Casablanca. <laughs> This would, uh, Tom said, you know, there isn't the hit, but this would probably be considered the hit. It just recently went over a million spins on Spotify, which is no small achievement for somebody, you know, who worldwide probably doesn't have huge name recognition, right? right. Yet somehow you're still got over the uh, million spin plateau. Yeah, that was pretty, uh, pretty exciting. It hit that on October 1st. Yeah, Casablanca, like I said, that was one that, uh, uh, we just really felt uh, everybody in the studio just was so excited when we recorded the basic track. I was in the uh, sound booth doing a scratch vocal, singing the song uh, and playing actually an acoustic guitar, if you can believe it. And we had David Getro uh, that was playing uh, piano. Uh, it was Andy Smith, Jeff D'Angelo, and then, of course, J the great Jay Wending. See, Jay Winding was the leader of a lot of the sessions because Jay spent a lot of time with me uh, when I first went out to L.A. and checked into the Chateau Marmont Hotel. We had a big room and rented some uh, equipment, including a Fender Rhodes piano, uh, bass guitar, and some different instruments. And Jay came over to the hotel, and we sat there and went over and over the song. So he had a pretty good idea of how he could lead the, the musicians throughout the basic tracks. And the producer, uh, John Boylan, gave him that that uh, liberty to do that. And so when we got up there, we got a really great basic track, which gave us something to build on, which, you know, later on when we got to L.A. and added Larry Carlton, Victor Feldman, and all the great background singers, yeah, uh, that we were pretty happy with that track. Was that released for radio as a single? You know, I don't believe it was. I think the first single, well, the absolute first single I did was a song that Columbia was pushing me to do called I'm Easy that was written by Keith Carradine. And uh, that that created a lot of, you know, they, they wanted me to do the song because they didn't think ABC would push it uh, because Carradine had signed to uh, Asylum, I believe, at the time. And no one knew that he was going to recut the song and release it on Asylum. So, but my management was really upset because I was recording someone else's songs, but that was, uh, uh that was with, uh, Elliot Mazur back in the day, but no Casablanca, I think the first single 
released was Dance with Stranger. Mm, okay. I'm pretty sure. And um, I'd have to double check on that. But Casablanca, I think, was in there at some point. I think they released like three singles. But it didn't really have a lot of label support at that time. Well, the question that was always gnawing at me on that one was about the solo section at the end. Wondering if the um, the increase in tempo, whether that was a factor of the excitement of the players happening in the moment, or was that something that was intentionally planned throughout the pre-production process that we want to bring up the tempo here at the end where we sort of go into this semi-rock slash samba interesting question you know it's uh, uh i would say you know it was probably both because i can remember very well uh, when they did the uh, first run through for that i mean they got just a great soundtrack i was so excited i couldn't believe it and everybody was just jumping for joy with this thing and boylan the producer stepped up and he says guys can you can you just give me one more take on that and just just need you just to calm down just a little bit. And give me one more take. And <laughs> that like, was no. the take. Yeah, that was the one right after the record. Or, oh, I mean, right after right. that take. They did that, and that is the one that's on the record. And it still had the, you know, up-tempo thing. That's when Victor Feldman was doing the solo that Larry Carlton inevitably had to take over because of the elevation that the song took. Yeah, very interesting, because the, the way the song opens is the way, obviously, the album's going to open, which is this cool mood. And by the time you get to that rip-roaring ending, you can't help but, like, be up and fired up, like, let's go. So, very interesting opening track, yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's go to Dance with the Stranger. Is it all in your mind? Just a traveler's imagination. Or does the magic you find have a simple explanation? Oh, baby, won't you dance with the stranger? Another one written by yourself, Fisher and Getro. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was I, that was one that was not finished when I was uh, actually Getru was out there at the studio with me. Mark Fisher added some great, great lyrics, uh, but we were uh, working on a song that ended up being called David's Mood. That I ended up finishing with uh, uh, with Diana White that uh, helped co-write a new song called Chinatown. But we were working on that song, and each time we did the verse and I would get to the chorus, we just got jammed up. It just wasn't working. And I thought, 
oh, this has got to go in a different direction here. So with that verse, then along came the the Dance with the Stranger chorus thing, which Mark Fisher came up with words there. And when we had that song, we were excited to go into the studio right away. So we booked the musicians to do that. David Kemper, I believe, on drums. Bob Glaub, who played with uh, Jackson, Linda, all those people, uh, and recorded that. And that was, the, I think that was the first track that I, that Larry Carlton played on, I think. Um, and he did his, yeah, I think that was, I think, uh, you know, the engineer Paul Grupp knew every studio uh, and every nuance in every studio. And he wanted to do the guitar overdubs at Capitol uh, Studios in Hollywood. And I think that was the first place that we had Carlton. And he came in, he had that classic blonde dot neck 335 that he, that he played. I believe he probably had that in the Crusaders, all those early Steely Dan songs that he did. And he came in and did dance with a stranger. And when he got to the actual solo, I was just so blown away how he was weaving the time in his solo, pushing it back and forth. And just, I just couldn't believe it. And then later on, uh, only had a lead vocal on that. And sadly I couldn't make the session uh, I knew about the session, but I couldn't make it uh, that the great Herb Peterson did all the background vocals on that song. He did a superb job, superb job. Going back to the, uh, we got to hear this uh, guitar lead though, because the tone, just the guitar tone is so infectious. John, let's hear a little of that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I had a note also. I've been listening very intently for uh, Larry Carlton bits lately, which is something that he, uh, Dane and I have been talking a lot about. But I want to go back to also the second verse when uh, Carlton sort of starts to introduce himself with some of these fills. Beautiful, the stuff that he does there, the way he works around the uh, uh, the vocal. But I also hear like he's trying to imply a little bit of uh, like slide guitar on this to sort of maybe give it a tinge of a... West Coast country mood. So let's hear a little of that. Is it all in your mind? Just a traveler's imagination. Or does the magic you find have a simple explanation? Oh, baby, won't you dance? Yeah, he's so amazing. You know, he, he we were teasing him and picking on him while he was trying to do his solo because he sat actually in the control room. Uh, you know, of course, had the the Princeton amp, as we talked about, with the RE20 mic on right. running through the million-dollar studio, compressors and limiters. So I don't really know. I'm not an engineer how he got that sound. But that tone that he came up with, just unbelievable. He followed through with that, I think, some uh, sometime later with one of my favorite tones on any recording I've ever heard was Hill Street Blues, when he played mm. the lead solo mm. to Hill Street Blues. So. That was, uh, you know, we were teasing him, saying, play some Dave Mason licks, you know, and just <laughs> picking on him in the studio. And he was just, uh, he was having a ball and he did such a wonderful job. You know, just, it was just amazing. They say the tone is in the fingers. So we make so much out of the equipment, but uh, these great players will know that the tone is in the fingers. So, And I'm guessing too, 
these session guys, if you're sitting there making fun, he's probably just, you know, keep talking. The longer you talk, the more I get paid. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was just great, you know. And uh, there was one time I was trying to remember which song it was. And I, I was thinking about that yesterday, that he was at the studio with Jay Graydon at the same time. And I can't remember. Maybe Graydon just had stopped by for that. That might have been the session. Uh, when he was doing Casablanca or Dance with a Stranger, but uh, got to work with all of them. It was, it was what a treat. I, I just can't believe they could get the tone they got. It was unreal. I want to do uh, jump to uh, Tom play a little something from the end because you mentioned uh, Herb Peterson doing the backups. I wondered if I had heard your voice in there just because maybe he has a similar tonality. But then all the way at the end, your lead vocal, the last line, you go so far off script on that and you play your, your line goes so far beyond the downbeat. Herb's probably like, all right, I'm going to let him just go. I'm not going to try and harmonize that. Let's hear that. <laughs> Take a lonely man into your Yeah, yeah that's, that's so interesting. You, you remind me, I just had a flashback of so, so many years ago because I remember Boylan, Boona Boylan, the producer, telling me that that Herb was throwing his hands up because I would change instead of being consistent with the choruses. He said I would change it at, at every every break, you know, every point every opportunity and he was going who is this guy he was throwing up his hands in almost frustration going man who get him in here get this guy I in feel here. his pain so but <laughs> <laughs> that was a great observation john i mean yeah. uh, you, you know fantastic i and john have both worked with another singer yeah. uh who's famous for that well he's not famous but if he's ever famous he'll be famous for that so um, all right <laughs> Well, let's move on to uh, track three. What am I supposed to do? I just love this gorgeous piano intro. Yeah, that was... uh, Yes, that would be Jay Winding, correct? It is, and I can remember pleading with Jay to do the intro. He, he said, no, I don't want to do it. And I said, we just please, you know, I said, you've got to come up with some kind of, uh, I said, I almost hear a Joni Mitchell intro in this thing. Will you please, please do it? And he says, man, I've done so much of that. I just don't, I just don't want to do it. And he was, and I kept hounding him to do it. And so finally he did. And Jay wrote that little intro for the song, which was just, just beautiful in my view. He did a great job. So that was the the first thing that happened there. But then we um, got to the actual recording. And by the way, uh, you could hear it. Dave Getru was playing the Hammond B3 organ on that song. It is not listed on the credits. That got left oh. off there somehow. Uh, but uh, uh, he's playing organ on that song. You can actually hear that in the very beginning where uh, 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 Winding plays that da-da-da-da-da. Getru's doing the repeat in that in that same intro we're talking about, you know, so that's how the song got started. And I had a lot of difficulty doing the lead vocal on that song. Really? Uh, But when we find. Yeah, that one was was I don't know, for some reason, maybe that was because it was a carryover from uh, when I did it with uh, Craig Fuller 
producing. Then I tried to record it in San Francisco with Elliot Mazur and, uh, which, you know, great musicians was, you know, he had Denny Sywell from wings and the legend, legendary Nicky Hopkins playing piano yeah, wow. on it. Yeah. And, uh, that could have been part of the problem, but I was really, uh, really having trouble with the vocals. So when I finally got it down, I ended up actually getting, that was one of the few on the entire album that I actually got in one take. Mm. Oh, wow. When we got that one down, that's when John David uh, said that he was uh, bringing Don Henley to the studio. Mm. And I think we talked about that on the last podcast. I was talking about getting my car towed on the day Henley was supposed to show up. And when I walked in the studio, Henley wasn't there and was was really upset about finding out who my managers were. There was some type of rift between the management and all that. And I was just like devastated. But after some pleading with him, with uh, myself and John David Souther, he came over and uh, he and Souther did the did the vocals. And to me, it was just like uh, I, it was such a surreal moment. I couldn't believe it. I wanted to ask you if this was the song. I remember um, when we had you on last time, there was a dispute between you and I don't remember if it was JD or if it was with uh, a Boylan, but you wanted the backing vocals to sound like the Eagles. You're like, let's, let's go for the Eagle sound here. And Mm -hmm. the response was something to the effect. Well, you tell the story. Well, that was the carryover from San Francisco. I was actually to an argument with Elliot Mazur, the producer. I mean, Elliot was great. I mean, great guy, um, uh, produced, uh, you know, actually introduced me to members of the band. He'd worked with us, you know, in the last waltz and he'd produced Neil Young, you know, uh, all those great records. But he, I said, you know, when we get to the chorus, it, it has to just really explode like the Eagles. I, I hear that in my head, like that chorus. What am I supposed to do sounding like the Eagles? <laughs> he said, well, you're not the Eagles. <laughs> and I'm going, well, there, there you are. There you go. And uh, so that was that. And then at the end of the day, uh, the Eagles ended up singing on it. So, <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. So you should have yeah. said, I know I'm not the Eagles, but I can yeah. get, the you Eagles. love those. Oohs. I know that <laughs> yeah, uh, I, at the time I could probably only dream of that, but, uh, it was just, uh, just an amazing, amazing moment. So the credits on the record say Jay Graydon on electric guitar is the only electric guitarist listed. Is that accurate? Cause it doesn't, a lot of it sounds like it's outside of his style. Again, he's going sort of country esque for, Definitely for Jay's uh, yeah, taste. That is Jay. That's uh, I played acoustic guitar on that, and uh, but that is Jay uh, playing that, and he just uh, we just didn't have any guidance for him at all on that song. We just brought him into the studio and he plugged in and played it. <laughs> well, we're finding he could do just about anything though. He was in a surfer yeah, band that's true. at one point, you know. So he just chooses to do the Jay Graydon thing. Something in the rake tones, Jay in the rake tones. He's actually getting a little bit of that, uh, you know, not quite the Hawaiian guitar sound yeah. that he had in yeah. Peg, but he was playing around a little bit with that kind of a feel, I thought. And so that's when we looked at each other and went, let him go, man. Just let yeah. him do whatever he wants to do, <laughs> you know, because I think, you know, before that, he had worked a lot with uh, the producer, Michael O'Mardian, with Christopher Cross. In fact, I remember asking Jay about the tone uh, or what amp he used on on uh, one of my favorite songs on that on Chris's record was uh, "Say You'll Be Mine." I love the guitar solo that Graydon played on that, 
and uh, the tone that he got. And I was just curious which guitar and which pickup he used on the guitar, which amp he used, which I think was a uh, it was either a Rivera or a modified uh, uh, Fender, uh, one of the two. But he was just uh, Jay's just great, and he did a great job on that solo, and we it was a keeper for us. Well, Dane, we did an episode on the top ten uh, best guitar solos of yacht rock. John and I each picked ten. And I was tracking with you because I have that uh, Christopher Cross tune in Jake Graydon solo on my top 10. So wow. you, you in 1978 and me in 2021 were in <laughs> same evaluation. Very <laughs> yeah. good. Same evaluation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, John, anything else on that before we move on to uh, a really cool track? Yeah. Here? Let's go to a woman with one of my favorite drummers of all time. You got to work with the great Dr. Steve Gadd. Babe, I feel it coming. Just had to let it be. I've seen your cold. So, uh, yeah, you've got um, your uh, buddy Jeff D'Angelo on bass, Larry Carlton on guitar. I'm reading uh, Feldman on the electric piano. And then back to your sort of Eagles meets Fleetwood Mac on the backup vocals. We got right, uh, Nix right. and Souther, right? Yeah. And who is Angeli Trusclair? Who is the third one listed there? Because she's on a couple songs. Angeli yeah, her name's Angèle Transclair, and uh, she's also sings on um, uh, "Can't Be Seen" on the album, and got a little bit buried in the mix. And that's something maybe for a future show that we're talking about. I'm talking a little bit with Sony about maybe possibly going in and bringing a few of those things up, just doing a little bit of a different remix. But that would be one of them. Where Angèle, but yeah, Angèle sang on that as well, um, and. Uh, yeah, Stevie and JD came up with just the most amazing harmonies. That was one, as I mentioned earlier, we did cut in Woodstock. And uh, uh, Jeff D'Angelo, I think I might have mentioned this before, but he had made a mistake uh, on the mm. record. And we, everyone thought we finally got the perfect take. Let's keep this. And this guy, D'Angelo, threw an absolute fit. He said, <laughs> I just can't live with it. I can't. I made a mistake in it. And he did. You could hear it. Thump. At the end, it's at the very end of the song where it's real drawn out, and Victor Feldman's playing that beautiful solo that Larry Carlton's weaving in and out of with the guitar. And uh, in the middle of it, in the basic track, D'Angelo missed a note, which is very rare. And he stood there, and the engineer, Paul Gruff, was just staring at him the whole time while he complained. You know, I just, I, you know, we're going to do the whole, we're going to do the song again. I can't live with it. I won't live with it. You know, on and on and on. So finally, Paul, <laughs> he starts going back and forth. Remember the old splice things they used to do with tapes? Well, he did it with yeah. the two-inch master. And oh, I looked down and I saw him with the ye. razor blade cut that <laughs> thing. And then he started pulling the thing on the reel. And we're all standing there just like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was stunned that he would actually do that. And next thing you know, he had a piece of tape that was probably about 16 feet long. He wadded it up. He said, he threw it at Jeff. He said, here, catch. There's your mistake. Go home and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> and played the uh, tape back and it was gone and we're all like uh, going how mm. how did this just happen you know but that was uh oh, that was the unbelievable uh talent wow. of an engineer like paul grubb to be able to wow to do that splicing 
And it was a common thing, I guess, but I'd never seen it. Quick personnel note, because Jeff D'Angelo is not a name that comes up a lot in uh, Yacht Rock, but we learned last time that he is related to a famous D'Angelo. Yeah, Bev, his sister Beverly that did the, the uh, uh, they're, they're both from Columbus, Ohio, and Beverly did all the Chevy Chase vacation movies. She's a great, great person. And uh, Jeff, just an unbelievable musician. Well, let's do him a quick solid because I really, as a bass player myself, sort of, um, I really like what, if you go to 130, John, and we hear this little kind of brief groove, and then the whole song sort of dissembles, like intentionally kind of falls apart, and then it kicks into this real yachty groove, and a lot of that's driven by the bass. So let's listen to that and uh, give Jeff some do. story also on the second verse regarding um stevie nicks singing with you was there a story there i know she can be clearly heard in there this was like really late they stayed there very very late and worked so hard uh to get the parts down but there was a a, a line in the second verse starts off what if you fell in love and got knocked from your shoes I asked Stevie if she would double my voice and only hold the word love out, have her do, what if you fell in love? You know, while I went love and got, not from your shoes. And if you listen very closely, you can hear her holding that note out. That was the very last thing we recorded. And I said, please, 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 one more thing. Would you just do this? And she did. Well, what if you fell in love and got, not from your shoes? It's just a little nuance, but... Uh, yep, we love nuance. I'm glad we got it. But Jeff, I wanted to say one other quick thing about D'Angelo that 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 uh, we did record Can't Be Seen in New York and had to recut it. And Can't Be Seen and Tracy, I think we had a pass at. When we did the final recording in L.A., the great Mike Bocaro played bass on Can't Be Seen. And, of course, uh, Chuck Rain from all the uh, Steely Dan work played on Tracy and they both were listening to the demo that Jeff D'Angelo had recorded and were both pretty amazed at his demo. So Jeff, uh, Jeff deserves all the accolades. He's a fabulous musician. We'll have to save that for the side two discussion. We're still on side one. So, <laughs> yes, but the, but the Jeff D'Angelo parts relevant, but yes. So um, I'm joking. Yeah. Yep. So that's uh, what we call in the podcasting business a tease. Yeah. Ah, yes. Because we're going to have. <laughs> I love working with pros. Uh, it's such a thrill <laughs> to work with pros. I yeah, mean, you me guys too. are awesome. <laughs> uh, Wiley Veterans. We've been podcasting for months yeah, and months now. Seems um, like it. All right. Well, let's go to the close of side yeah. A then, right? Uh, before we get to side B, and then we'll uh, take a break and we'll have you back next week for side B. But here we go. Where will you go? Correct? Is that the final side on side that one? Is correct. It is. Final song on side one. Yeah. But where will you go when you go from here? Gave all your reasons, and they were so I am 
hearing a lot of Eagles in this one, well, too. Well, that's what I was going to say. This sort of feels like what has kind of been known now as the an Eagles waltz. It's a, a waltz with a certain flair played the way the Eagles sort of did it. So, Dane, uh, tell us about this song. Well, the song, uh, uh, I was a little nervous about recording the song at all, but uh, David Krebs, uh, management was, I think that was one of his favorite songs at the time and he insisted on it, but I felt it was just too country to include in at the time, look at it like West coast or any of that yeah. sort of thing. I was, or Eagles type of thing. I was just looking at it like it was maybe too country for this album that had, you know, the cuts that it had on it with the horns and all that stuff. Uh, but when we recorded it, uh, it, it happened very, very quickly had, uh, I believe Ed Green's playing drums on that. And Ed yeah. had, uh, you know, here's this rock steady drummer that plays with Fagan and, uh, you know, just unbelievable. But the most interesting thing was that's when Jay Wending, I couldn't believe it, stepped up, who did all this great production and musicianship and everything else, said, well, I want to sing on this one. Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and he stepped up and he sang one of the three-part vocal parts on that. Well, he had a couple of pretty good helpers in there. What do you have, Champlin and Tom Kelly oh, yeah, in there yeah. with him? <laughs> I, mean, I think on. it was Tom Kelly. I yeah. think, if I'm not mistaken, I will have to go back and look, but I think it was just Jay Winding and Tom Kelly. The album says Champlin on there as well, but that we always know that those credits aren't always accurate. Well, that could be yeah. then, yeah. Well, I have a question about that, actually. Mm -hmm. My question is, were you in that session for the backups? I was. And the reason I'm yes. asking, just, okay, so uh, earlier this year in April, we met you in person for the first time, um, mm -hmm. or was it February, whatever, at the concert in right. Dayton, and Bill Champlin was headlining, Bill and Tamara both, and it was so cool to see you guys, like, talking together over in the corner and i'm thinking oh my god is this the first time they've seen each other since the session so mm -hmm. was that it was yeah it was and uh oh my god bill was laughing about it he said you know that that uh someone had mentioned that dane was going to show up at this show and he goes well wow there's a blast from the past <laughs> uh, <you> know, bill, <laughs> and so but bill was on a lot of those uh in fact there was another uh uh you know mistake that I was looking the other day right after we had uh, I met you, with you guys and Bill I was looking on some of the album credits on Tracy. They have me listed as doing the background vocals with Tom Kelly. Now I did the background vocals and I know this will be a tease for cut two here, John, but the, <laughs> I did the background vocals with Tom Kelly on whatever happened, but I did not do the background vocals with Tom Kelly on Tracy. That was Bill Chapman. So, he, uh, okay. you know, yeah. they, they credited me for that. And it was actually Bill. So Bill worked a lot on those uh, on those songs. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that was him and Tom and Jay doing the doing the vocals. Absolutely. Beautiful harmonies. John, this song belonged on our episode when we did a whole breakdown of how harmonies were constructed back in the era. And I don't think we did reference this one. No, we? we referenced what am I supposed to do? In that one, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. yeah, but beautiful, beautiful. Thank All you. right, you got anything else, or sh should we uh, take a quick break and come back? Let's next disembark, week? and we'll talk about side two next week. Thank you, guys. All right, Dane, you, you come back for the second side? Absolutely, man. I enjoy working with you guys. It's so much fun. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, that is the end of side one, and it is likely to take us a good solid week to get that record flipped. <laughs> You think, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we better take a good break here. In, uh, I guess there's nothing more to do than to get into the lightning round. Is that right? That is correct. All right. Well, this is going to be a very interesting does it float your boat for you, sir. Okay. Because this is an interesting thing, right? Like Dane Donahue, the lost prince of Yacht Rock. Yacht Rock royalty, is he not? Indeed. Indeed. Where are you going with this? But we talked about side one kind of being eagles influenced we told the tale of uh one of these songs where it ended up being some eagles personnel on the backup vocal so now you've got right. pure yacht rock on the one hand you've got eagles influence on the other hand does it float your boat where will you go Cause baby we could last it. On the spot. You were not kidding. Signature eagle sound. This is a difficult position you're putting me yeah. in. Yeah, that, you know, in terms of yacht rock, no. It's it's clearly, as he even mentioned, uh, Jackson and Linda, as in Jackson Brown, Linda Ronstadt, first name basis, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is definitely out of that ilk. It is Laurel Canyon influence. It is West Coasty sounding. It fits great. On a Yacht Rock record, which goes to your original point years ago when you uh, thought you wanted to keep the Eagles near the boat. Right. This is an example of how it can still work in a listening experience without it being technically Yacht Rock. Yep. But like we said, too, the whole album just feels like it fits together even if it doesn't. So for me, it does float my boat. But then again, Mm. I'm the one that's trying to sneak the Eagles on the boat. Much too many. Well, maybe this is your way. Then you can do use the transitive property after there that. You go. <laughs> we might be out of something <laughs> to be continued in season four. Okay. Oh, yes. What do you All have? Right. Well, this is one I know we agree on because you are the one that sent it to me and hooked me on it in the first place and demanded that I give this a legit uh, listen. And I'm talking about Ernie Watts' Chariots of Fire. Ooh, what a great record. You know, it, yeah. And I'm. I'm going to put forth specifically that song. So from 1982, this is pure yacht jazz. He kind of takes, you know, sort of the basics of the groove from Herb Alpert's Rise, speeds it up a bit, quite a bit actually, uh, blends that with, of course, the iconic melody of the Chariots of Fire theme and makes pure magic out of it. And so my question is not, does it float your boat? Do you agree that it belongs in the yacht jazz category? Well, um, or is that too easy of a question? It, for you? It's too easy for me because it's y- yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, right. And I, remember when I bought this record, I said to you, you got to check it out. And even when I had it in my hot little hands at the record store, 
on the one hand, again, I'm like, oh, Ernie Watts. On the other hand, sure, it's a fire. Exactly. Uh, Did you like stick it in the middle of the other records and hope that the guy <laughs> at the cash register didn't notice what you just bought? It's like, well, that's what I do when I buy a Barry Manilow record. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to try that next time I go Olivia Newton-John shopping. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's definitely the only problem. Yeah, is- I knew that that would be easy, but I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. It's not on Spotify. You got to go search for it, but do not be turned away by the name Chariots of Fire. No, please. So good. So good. All right. So what do you have then for buried okay. treasures? Buried treasure. This I don't know where this came from. It's been sitting in my lightning list for a while. So I'm sure that either it was sent to us and I didn't take proper notes, or I heard it perhaps on uh, Yacht Rock Miami. Uh, I'd never heard of the Faith Band before. They had an album 1979 called Face to Face. They are they are uh, a Netherlands band. But they recorded, this is what's strange, they recorded this album at a studio in Wisconsin. I don't know what brought them there, maybe the cheese, uh, and mastered it in New York at Bob Ludwig's place, uh, Master Disc. But it's, like I said, a Netherlands band. So all of that comes together. This is Faith Band 1979, Fool's Love. I, that's one that was totally unfamiliar to me as well. Me too. All right. Cool. What do you have? All right. Well, um, I'm going back two weeks to the uh, thriller episode. That's a little spoiler, unfortunately, if you uh, peeked ahead and forgot to go to the Bermuda Triangle. But mm-hmm. remember, we fell in love and discovered or the new, not new guitar player, but the name David Williams was kind of fresh to us. Yes, but he was only the uh, guitar player on the most number one songs of all time. But right. somehow we missed him. Yeah, but we were marveling at all of his work, uh, specifically yeah. some of the single note rhythm stuff. Um, anyways, so did you happen to notice the comment in Facebook? We uh, Listener Michael said, oh, you got to listen to the 1983 album, Take the Ball and Run. By David Williams. I did see the comment, and I did see your response, but I have not listened yet. Oh, fire. Pure fire. Nice. It's so yachty. I'm going to, though, because it's a buried treasure and it's tied back to the Thriller episode, I want to start with a song off of it. Um, this one's called Look Away. And listen to the David Williams guitar single note rhythms and see if it's not reminiscent of Thriller. Because every night I pray. What do you think of that? Fire. Pure <laughs> fire. Yes. All right. Because that wasn't the yachtiest thing that you've ever heard, although it certainly fits in category, um, the album opens up with a tune called When Your Dreams Come True. This is not off the map, but it's going to be my off the map because David Williams deserves not one, but two uh, references to the podcast. Thank you to listener Michael for turning me on to this album. Unfortunately, not on Spotify. Maybe you could find it on vinyl. I had to go to YouTube looking for this one, but check out how yachty this song begins in the album begins. Here's when your dreams come true. Oh, 
So that's what's cool wow. about this record. Yeah. It's not only is it great David Williams, you know, circa uh, thriller era, because it's 1983, but it's also super yachty by surprise. It's like, oh, my God. A David Williams Starflight. What do you know? Yes. Never would have thought. No. Oh, well, the reason I didn't listen to that is because uh, I had some other stuff that I was listening to that was being sent to me uh, from, I believe it's a listener from uh, Sweden. I don't think he knows me necessarily from page 99, so I think he was connecting me from this, even though it came to my personal account. Listener Hakan Hakan from Sweden, and he wanted me to uh, hear an album from 2001. This is by an artist called Marino, and I'd never heard of Marino, and I had difficulty finding information about this. But apparently, he is a UK guitarist virtuoso and has dabbled in all kinds of different styles. And eventually, in the early 2000s, came to the United States, went to the West Coast to cut a record, kind of in the model of he's a lead guitarist, but he's going to use different vocalists to create vocal tunes. So in the Rittenauer model that we've talked about a bunch of times. But he's got um, – well, the, the hype sticker just on front of the record talks about all these different artists that either are on the record or that they've played with. And it becomes a who's who. We've got J.R. Robinson, Vinnie Caliuta, Abe Laboreal. Uh, let's see. Maxine Waters is singing on it. Paul Jackson Jr. And – Believe it or not, there's a track on here, again, 2001, so it's off the map. It does not sound yachty, but you could see where this guy is connecting his sound to the yacht sound in 2001. And this has none other than Bill Champlin on lead vocals, and it's called Who Said? Who said? Who said I could I neglected to mention also that Phil and Gaines is on there as well as Tamara Champlin. So a little more personnel for your yachting goodness. That's what they call a banger, too. Yeah, 2001. The album is called The Unexpected Alliance. Hmm. If you can find it, it's difficult to find a lot of information. So a little Marino rock for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, there it now, is. Now, were you predisposed to like it because you're a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan and it's Dan Marino? It's, it's not the same Marino. Oh, it's a different it's, guy. It's, it's a different guy. Totally. Different guy. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, I got to say, it was a good thing uh, the <laughs> listeners, they will not know this, but do you remember uh, it was a good thing I was wearing my officially licensed out of the main gear for our interview with Dane? Oh, yeah. You put him on the spot. How, hand- how did that go? Well, I'll tell you. But before I do, <laughs> just remember, you can also get your officially licensed, non-licensed ah. gear at outofthemain.com. Uh, it's got all sorts of uh, hoi polloi. Oh, I mean, some uh, stuff that's, you know, <laughs> celebration of not just the podcast, but more so Yacht Rock in general. So you want to yes, show it's... your colors, there you go. But, well, why don't let's just go back to the tape and we'll hear what, how it happened. Let's go to the tape. Here we go. Can you read what's on my shirt by any chance? Um. <laughs> Maybe if I put my glasses on. See if you put your glasses. What's that first word? Ahoy. And that's how you do a cliffhanger. We can dance, we can dance while the music's on. 